0: So it's cool that we sung about strongholds in the first song, because that's tonight, and that's what we're going to be talking about. So uh, we've been in this series called No Matter What, and this series may be the longest lasting series we've ever had, I don't know, but um, it's been really cool as we look at different people throughout the, the Bible who have faced things, and they ha- have struggled with things, they said, you know, no matter what, fill in the blank." So I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to do what God's called me to do, I'm going to follow my calling in my life. Whatever the case may be, they say no matter what, because when you've got Jesus in the center of your life, there is nothing that can hold you back, right? And that's the key to this whole series. Well, we were, I was thinking about this one, and uh, there, there's everybody knows about Jericho, right? And I wanted to talk to you tonight about Jericho, because we talked a little bit about Rahab before, so we can't talk about Rahab and then not give any kudos to Joshua, because Joshua was there too, you know? He had a little part to play in the whole Jericho thing, so we're going to talk about Jericho and the plan that god gave to, Jeri- to uh, joshua to conquer jericho so the israelites Are in the land that god has promised them and now they got to go in and defeat the first city that they come to So so they go in right into the middle of israel And and they got to defeat this city because they're going to divide and conquer Basically is what's going to happen to this land that god has promised them So they're going to start in the middle and then they're going to work their way south then work their way north So that's what they're going to do right Well god gives joshua a plan now, we know what the plan is, right? Because if you've ever been to Sunday school, you've probably heard about the plan where they walk around the city and, and, and they march and they blow the horns and then the walls fall, right? So the whole point behind this and the whole message, I guess, tonight is the fact that God gives us a plan sometimes that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like it makes zero sense, as a matter of fact. It's contrary to what you logically think. It does not make sense at all. And so many times in our lives, that's the way God works. And when he gives us a calling, gives us a direction, that it doesn't make logical sense. I, Jameson sent me a, a, a meme today, and it said that when God calls you, he's already factored in your stupidity. And I like that. I thought that was strong. I, th- I thought that was very strong. Thank you for that encouraging word today, Jameson. But um, the other thing that, that God factors in to, um, to the whole calling in your life, the other thing that he, he works into that is your obedience and your faith, right? He knows your obedience level. He knows your faith level. So when God gives you a strange thing that God has called you to do that seems like an insurmountable challenge by our feeble minds, then that's a pretty good indication that it's going to require faith to accomplish it, right? You aren't just going to be able to do it based on your own abilities, your own talents, your own gifts, your own strength. You're going to have to lean into Him, and that's exactly the purpose. So when we talk about doing things that don't make a lot of sense, I thought that I would share something uh, that that I really like. So. Uh, I I like war movies to an extent. I like, uh, you guys know this about me a little bit. There's one of my movies that I've watched probably in excess of 100 times is this movie called The Hunt for Red October. Has anybody ever seen that movie? Okay, there's three people. That's good. All right. Thank you. So in The Hunt for Red October, what's happened is, this is back in the Cold War days, and the Russians have developed this really cool submarine that can operate without making any sound. It's got like this propulsion system that makes it operate without any sound, right? And so that makes it really undetectable by sonar, which is what everybody uses in the water to detect if there's a submarine there, right? So what's happened is they develop this submarine. The, the guy that gets in charge, the first captain of the submarine, he recognizes how powerful this weapon is against the United States of America. And he gets him and his captains. They decide to defect, and they want to give over this new modern age submarine, then we give it over to the United States so it can't be used as a weapon against them, right? So the United States can build one just like it or a little bit better, right? So that's what's happened. Well, he announces his intent to defect. Once they set sail, and they're headed over to the United States, they don't really have a plan of how they're going to defect, but they're working on it, right? And so once he sets sail, he sends a letter to basically a, a, a very prominent member of the government in Russia to tell them, hey... We're going to defect. You know, we just set sail, and just so you know, we're going we're to defect, and we're going to turn this over to the United States. Well, of course, they freak out, you know. And, and, and later on, Captain Ramius, who who's his captain, he tells this man, he said, uh, because they, they start having this question, should we turn back, should we go back? And he's like, well, I can tell you, you don't want to turn back because I just sent a letter to him telling him that we're going to defect. So going back is really not an option. He says, As a matter of fact, he said, when Cortez reached the new land, He burned all of his ships. That way his men were well-motivated to make a place there in the new land, right? So that's basically what Captain Ramius did. So the Russians are after him. The United States is coming after the submarine who they think has gone rogue, and he might blow up the United States. And, And so basically what happens is the United States figures out what he's trying to do and the fact he's trying to defect. They climb aboard this boat with Captain Ramius, and then all of a sudden the Russians show up. The Russians want to blow up. His submarine, they want to get rid of him. They don't want him to defect. They don't want the United States to have this submarine. You guys are enjoying this story, right? I can tell y'all are like all into this, right? So it's like a soap opera. Um, so anyway, so, so they're in the submarine with Captain Ramius, and, and they, the, the Russians shoot a, a torpedo at the submarine. This Russian submarine has a silent propulsion system. They shoot a torpedo at it. And Captain Ramius gives the order. He says, I want you to turn 180 and turn directly into the torpedo. And and the captain, there's another captain from a U.S. submarine there. He's like, you know you're turning into the torpedo. You know that this is going to, we're going to die, right? You're going to blow up. We're going to be destroyed because you're turning us directly into the path of the tor- torpedo. And then the captain says, not only do I want you to turn into the path of the torpedo, but I also want you to speed up, go as fast as you can, headlong into the torpedo. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking me with my logical mind, there's a missile coming at me. It wants to blow me up. The last thing I want to do is turn towards the missile and go faster at it, right? Like that's illogical in our minds. But Captain Ramius happens to be a pretty smart captain. And what he knows is what everybody figures out in a few minutes. He starts having a casual conversation with a guy who's just turned the knob to turn him directly into the torpedo. And he's just chilling and talking to them and they're like, why is he so calm? And in about 30 seconds, they hear the torpedo hit. The torpedo hits the hull of the ship, the hull of the, the, um, the submarine, and disintegrates. Because the captain closed the distance to the, to, the, to the torpedo before the torpedo could arm itself. You know, when God gives us some direction sometimes, it seems like, oh my goodness, this does not make sense at all. Like God has called me to do something. God has called me for a direction in my life. This does not make logical sense to me. I know that, I mean, we even say this, we even go so far as to say, I know that God's ways are higher than my ways, but man, this doesn't make any sense at all. And we struggle to believe that. We struggle to believe that, could this really be God? So today we're going to talk about Joshua in Joshua chapter 6, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So it's like the sixth book in your, uh, in your Bible. So you can go ahead and start flipping there if you want to. In Joshua chapter 6. I kinda I had originally said we we're going to start in Joshua chapter six, and that's what I told them to put up on the screen, but I kind of want to back up for just a second. I'm going to go to Joshua chapter five, beginning of verse thirteen, because Joshua is getting ready to attack the town of Jericho, and I'll tell you about Jericho in just a minute, but let me show you what he does first so J- Joshua is like the night before is like trying to figure out what God wants him to do, so he's wandering around. Jericho, wondering what's going to happen. He goes, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. In hand, Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? So he goes up to the, this is like one of my favorite stories. Like, I, I love this. If you, don't, if you don't love this, there's something wrong with you and you don't love Jesus. In, in Joshua chapter 5, Joshua's roaming around Jericho. He comes up to this dude. He's got a sword in his hand. And he's like, you on my side or am I on your side? What, what's the deal? Because I, I need to know. Are you with me? Or, or, or what's the deal? This is pretty cool. Neither one, he replied. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Joshua, at this, Joshua fell his face to the ground in reverence. At your command, Joshua said, What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. This is what this is what happens. He goes up to this guy, and the guy, he says, man, are you, are you friend or foe? He says, neither one. He says, it's not a matter of me being on your side. It turns out you're on my side. This was never your fight to begin with. This was never your battle. This was never your plan. It turns out that it was all my plan, and you just got on board with my plan. And that's what God's telling him. How cool is that? I think that that's exactly how God would respond, kind of sarcastically, right? So, are you my friend or are you my foe? And God would go... Neither one. It turns out I'm the one that's right, and you just happen to be on board with me. I'm like, I love that. I think that is so cool. I think that's exactly the way God would speak, you know. And here, so so Joshua's like, Oh, okay, I get. I know who you are now. Yeah, my bad. And then he falls down, and like the Lord says, the place you're standing is holy. So then it begins to talk about Jericho. In chapter six, it says, Now the gates of Jericho were t- tightly shut uh, because. The people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. So the walls of Jericho, right? So I, I don't know if you watch any sermon jams or any of that kind of stuff, but like um, there's a great video about talking about insurmountable challenges in the walls of Jericho, and it's awesome, and you should go listen to it, right? But the reality is the walls of Jericho are extremely thick. They, the walls of Jericho... Like, we know a lot about it because we have been digging up and studying Jericho, and it is one of the most studied cities uh, by archaeologists and all this kind of stuff with well, the walls there was on the outside there was a 15 foot thick wall on the outside, so really it's about the width of of these stairs right here, so the width, not quite the width of the stairs, but the width of these stairs that's how thick the wall was. That was the outside wall, so the outside wall is fifteen feet thick, then there's another 15 foot gap. And then there's another 10-foot wall, 10-foot thick wall after that one. And these walls were 20 to 30 feet high. And they had archers up on top that would shoot arrows down at you. If you got inside one wall, then you were, you were like fair game for them because you'd be stuck in this little canal between the two walls, and the archers just could have field day with you down there. There's nowhere for you to go. Once you got past one wall, you still had to get past the other wall. So it was going to be tough. For the Israelites to get into Jericho they have these marksmanship type archers up on top of the wall they've got a, a super duper army once they get inside that the Israelites have got to defeat the Israelites don't really have a whole lot they don't have like battering rams and all that kind of stuff to be able to penetrate the walls and here God's going to give Joshua a plan for this stronghold now in our lives we have strongholds too right we have things that we go up against uh for some of us it's like broken relationships it's like one broken relationship after another broken relationship after another broken relationship and it's a stronghold in our life for some of us it's things like depression and anxiety it's like you keep praying about it and asking God and and seeking God and trying your best and reading God's word and it's like a stronghold in your life you keep going up against for some of us it's sexual things Sexual things, it's like the stronghold in your life. You just seem can't seem to get past. It keeps haunting you and coming back over and over and over again. For for some of us, it may be some sort of addiction in our lives that we struggle with. Alcohol, drugs, something that we're addicted to. And it's like it's like, man, this is impossible for us to for me to deal with. Well, here, God gives Joshua a plan. And Joshua's plan or God's plan for Joshua doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But let's look at what God says to him. But the Lord said to Joshua, I give you I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. Oh, this is key here. You can't miss this because this is what the Lord said. He says, I've already given them to you. I've already given you the victory. You've already won, Joshua. The strongholds in your life, God has already given you the victory over those. He's going to give you a plan to show how to completely destroy them from your visible mind. But in the spiritual mind, you should see what God has already done, that he has already given you victory. That's the thing that we struggle to see so much, right? We want to see the tangible evidence. Give me the, I want to show, touch, I want to, I want to be able to feel it, smell it. I want to, I want to be able to know that, it, that, it's, that it's gone. And the whole time, God's already telling you, man, I've already given you the victory. I've al- you have already, you've already declared victory. But you have to be on God's side, right? That's the whole key. We read that in Joshua chapter 5. Just at the end of it, it says, it says you're on my side. This, this is my fight. This is my battle. If it's really God's battle, and we really think that he's all-powerful, and there's nothing can conquer our God, then why is it that we struggle so much believing that the battle's already won? God shows us that over and over and over again in His Word. And, and even if you read the end of the book in Revelation, it talks about how, man, God, God evicts, judge, convicts judgment upon the world. And He says those that believe will be saved. And that's basically the end of the story, that we've already got the victory. It's, it's already written down. We believe this book to be true. Therefore, we know we already win at the end of the story so many times we let the strongholds win right so many times we let he said man but the walls are thick man but even if we get past one wall there's another wall and even if we do all that man there's a strong army inside god says i've already given you the king i've already given you the city i've given you all strong warriors i you've already got the victory joshua how comforting is it to know going into a battle that you've already got the victory He goes on to say in verse 3, You and your fighting men should march around the, the town twice a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, the Ark of the Covenant being the thing that holds the Ten Commandments of God. It represents the very presence of God and the people for the people of Israel. Right? So it says, Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. When you Hear the, the priest give one long blast on the ram's horn. Have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. So God's like, okay, so when, when you play backyard football, right, this is what you do. You got like, all right, let's make a huddle, right? And then you draw the plan out on your hand, right? That's the way it's you, okay, you're going to go over here. You're going to run fast. You're going to run fast, and I'm going to just throw the ball hard. Okay, like that was our plan, right? That's how we played backyard football. Well, God has a huddle with Joshua. says, here's the plan. Joshua's thinking, oh, good. We already won. That's good news. All right, good. So give me the plan how it's going to happen. And, 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 and the Lord of God's army says, I want you to get the ark and some horns and some priests, and I want you to walk around the town for six days. You know, seventh day, I want you to walk around seven times. And you need seven horns and seven priests. All right, ready, break, you know. I would have been like, let's see. (laughs) All right. Horns, the ark, some priests, and we're going to shout at the end, right? Yep, that's the way it's going to happen. Okay, Jesus, I got you. Let's go do this thing, right? Sometimes that's the way God's plan appears to us. Like, it doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't, it's not comprehensible by us that that doesn't seem like the appropriate way to take on another incredibly strong army would be to walk around. I mean, like, they're picketing, right? They're picketing outside Jericho is what they're doing, right? So, like, picketing is not the way to defeat an army, you know? I, I would think that there's got to be another way. What's the other plan, you know? what? Okay, walk around. All right. Well, Joshua, thankfully because he has obedience in his heart and because he understands that old song trust and obey right like he just he just believes that this is what he, he's already figured out this is the lord so he's fell down his face before him he's like okay give me the plan god gives him the plan hey, all right now it's time to go and act a plan is that the way that we respond a lot of times god gives us a plan and we go okay lord i got you all right i'm gonna go share this plan with everybody else and we're gonna get on board with this plan you know sometimes i struggle with this um well, let's see, pretty much every day I struggle with this, but God gives me a plan that doesn't make sense in my mind, and then I want to figure it out for a little while, you know, like, well, I'm going to make sense of this and make sure it checks out and make sure everything lines up and all that kind of stuff. And the whole time, God's just going, well, you just go, go tell the army what we got to do. And sometimes, even when you tell the army what we got to do, the army ain't all on board with that idea. In case you're wondering, that does happen quite a bit. God gives you direction. You're the leader. You go do it. All right, good. Break. And people go, You gotta be nuts. That can't be what the Lord said. There ain't no way that God has put that on your heart, and that is the plan. Doesn't make sense, so therefore we struggle with accepting the plan. But Joshua, this is what it is. So he called the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town. And the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched. And the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Listen to what happens here. I I like this part here. Do not shout. Do not... Even talk, Joshua commanded, not a single word from you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town twice, uh, once that day, and everyone returned and spent the night in the camp. So here, Joshua gets the priests together. And by the way, this is pretty interesting. The horns that they're blowing uh, are actually the horns that they would blow for the time of Jubilee. Which would mean basically all your stuff has been erased, all your debts have been forgiven, and these horns are being blown as they as they travel around. and And, and, and Joshua gives them this command. He says, "Don't shout. Don't even talk. Don't even talk." How often do you do that? sit in silence? How often do you just listen to the Lord? God's given you a plan. He's given you direction. Do you ever just sit in silence? Make you feel weird, doesn't it? I sit there and stare at you and it's all quiet in here. You know, the reality is, though, that so many times we get so busy, and we get even we get busy asking God, okay, what's next, what's next, what's next? We spend so little time just listening. So little time just absorbing what's going on around us. Here, Joshua says, y'all don't even talk. We're just going to walk around in silence, and the only thing that you're going to hear are these horns of jubilee. These horns of celebration is all you're going to hear as we march around. Man, we get so wrapped up sometimes that, that we cannot stand. We cannot stand the silence. We'll make ourselves busy. We'll wrap ourselves up in so much that we don't even have to sit in silence. The only time we want, to be, want it to be silent is when we're asleep. Am I right? And then we don't want nobody talking. But aside from that, we don't like the silence. And let me tell you something. As God works in your life and he gives you a plan and he starts working stuff in your life, sometimes you just need to shut up. You don't miss, need to miss a good opportunity to shut up. So many times in my life, I'll be praying to God. Praying to God about something, and He will say in my ears. I can hear Him say, just shut up. Just be quiet for a minute. Will you listen to me and stop telling me what you want all the time? Let me tell you what the plan really is. We don't really like that, though. We'd much rather enact our plan and then ask God to get on board with it, right? As opposed to just sitting there quietly. So God, I just want to listen to you. I just want to listen to you. Jesus would go get alone. He'd get away from the crowd. He used to do it early in the morning because he just needed to be quiet. He, he just needed to be in a quiet space. There are times during your day, I'm going to say every day, every day that you need to be in the quiet. That you just need to be listening. Um, That's revolutionary to some people. I was talking to somebody the other day. He said, well, you know, in my church, we never really just listen. We're usually praying to God and reading God's word, but we never really just listen. You don't need to miss the beauty of being able to listen to God and just listen to what he's saying. My guess is that most people in this room don't spend a lot of time doing that. Thing i want you to notice here the number seven is repeated right seven horns seven priests seven days seven times on the seventh day right so that is the number of perfection and the number of completeness in god's word right so that's that's that means it's god's plan that means he's just showing them reinforcing to them that it's god's plan and and, and in the book of revelation you see the number seven repeated many times again you see seven seals you see seven bowls you see seven horns again you see the number seven repeated over and over and over, and that is God's plan, and that is, that's Him working out His plan and Him revealing to His people that I am in your midst. I am doing this. This is my plan, my work, and I want you to be on board with what I'm doing. And the Ark of the Covenant, which is right in the center, they got, they got guards on the front, guards on the back, seven priests here, and they got the Ark of the Covenant right in the middle. What does the Ark of the Covenant represent? God's presence among them. When you're going up against your strongholds in your life and you got them, everybody's got them, I got them. You got yours, I got mine. Sometimes you want to tell me about yours, I, I get that. Sometimes I'll tell you about mine from up here on the pulpit. The reality is, this is what I want you to know God's presence is right there in the middle along with you as you fight His plan and His battle attack. You're, He's in the midst. And the other thing I want you to notice this is that, that, man, we need each other. God's presence is right here in the center of us, right? But as we combine together corporately and we begin to worship Him and talk about our strongholds and our struggles together, man, it's like the Spirit of God coming together in this unified way. Man, you don't need to fight these battles alone. These strongholds in your life, you need other believers, other people with the the God of the Bible living inside of them, walking alongside you and being there with you as you walk and as you struggle. And we we reassure each other constantly that the presence of God is among us. We sit quietly and we sit corporately and we say, you know what, the presence of God is among us. We're fighting His battle and at the end we've already won. Every single one of us need that because every single one of us as a stronghold in our life now on top of the task seeming insurmountable like this huge mountain mountain in front of us on top of that then God gives us a plan that doesn't make any sense you know what that's going to require a whole heck of a lot of trust a whole heck of a lot of obedience and, and a whole heck of a lot of faith to say you know what God your plan is the right plan I trust your plan Here we see Joshua leading these people around. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark, blowing their horns. And again, the armed men marched in front of the priests and the horns with the horns in the, behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the, the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. you ever feel like that? Like I'm in the middle of a battle and I keep going around and around and around and around. Like why couldn't have God taken down the walls on the first day? He had the ability to, right? It's not like the walls are too thick for him. It's not like he couldn't handle the walls. It's not like they were too strong or the army was too big. It's not like that. It was the fact that God was preparing those people that were marching around. He was preparing them the whole time having them sit in silence and listen to the horns of celebration that comes from God, having to to do that day after day after day, dwelling inside them that they already had the victory. It was not so much that, that God needed to wait that long, it was that God was reassuring them and strengthening their faith each day that they walked around in obedience, doing what God had called them to do, even though it didn't make any sense. There is something to be learned from the waiting room of life. Everybody hates to be in the waiting room of a doctor's office. I hate it more than anybody. I feel like I'm going to get the flu just sitting in the chairs. You know what I mean? But there is so much to be learned in the waiting room of life. It's, it's where you learn faith. It's where you learn obedience. It's where you learn to really trust Him and say, you know what, I'm just going to wait, God. I'm just going to wait on whatever it is you have planned because I trust you completely. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I'm just, I'm just going to wait on you. And on top of that, wait in silence on God. Stop telling him what you want. Stop telling him what you want. Telling him what you want. Telling him what you want. Just sitting in silence saying, all right, God, what is it that you want from me? What's your calling on your life? What's your your plan for me? We followed the pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. This is what God had said. Go around seven times. This number of perfection. Go around seven times on the seventh day. The seventh time around is the priest shouted, Sounded the long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction. Or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and will bring trouble upon the on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, and bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord, and must be brought into his treasury. For when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Certainly, the wall, suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites char, charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep. Goats and donkeys, now this is where people have a struggle. God commanded the Israelites to go and kill everything inside the walls of Jericho. The men, the women, the children, the sheep, the donkeys, kill everyone. Some people struggle with that. They're like, whoa, that doesn't seem right that God would do that. Kill everybody? Well, let me ask you this question. If you have an issue with that, him using the children of Israel for this purpose, what about Sodom and Gomorrah when God enacted his wrath upon them? Do you think the women and children were, were kept from any harm in Sodom and Gomorrah? Or do you think they were all wiped out along with the sheep and the donkeys and everybody? You are either within God's grace or you are directly opposed to God. There is no middle ground. You either on God's side or you are under his wrath. There isn't anything in between. Some people say, well, I just, I'm not a religious person. I don't really want to get into that. And I'm not really this way. I'm not really that way. You know, just, you know, I I know you're a preacher. Can you just leave me alone? Like, well, I can tell you you're under God's wrath. You're not just okay. You're not just somewhere in the middle. You're not just some innocent man that that God's going to go, oh, okay. Well, you're all right. You didn't really do anything bad. No, you're either a a believer and under God's grace or you're not. You're under his wrath. One or the other. You're not in between. You can't just do nothing. Doing nothing is the same as being against God. And here, these people, these wicked people, these that were inside the walls of Jericho, they were under God's wrath. And just because he used God's people that were imperfect to accomplish his goal, he was enacting his wrath upon the people of Jericho and fully justified in doing so. Fully justified in doing so. The women, the children, the men, the goats, the sheep, all dead. And God was fully justified in doing so. In the book of Revelation, when Jesus returns, what happens? The world's consumed, man. It's just like burned up, basically. Consumed with fire and and, and like wrath and judgment comes upon the earth. That's the reality of God's judgment. That's the way that it is. You don't have to like it, but it's still truth. Except, there's one beautiful part. What does he say at the end? He said, except for Rahab and her family, right? Except, except for her and her family, they're to be saved. Why, why is Rahab to be saved? Why, why is Rahab to be saved? It says in here she protected our spies, right? You remember when the spies went in? We talked about Rahab a few weeks ago. We also know that Rahab becomes part of the Israelite family. And and, and we know that she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ because she is a believer in God. Those that are believers in God, they're the ones that are saved. Rahab was a believer in God, therefore she was saved. In the book of Revelation, you know, who who are the ones that are saved? Those that believe and truly believe in God, those have so much—they have so much belief and trust in God and His ways and the sacrifice that He made—that they're they're willing to sacrifice everything. Rahab was willing to put her whole life on the line based on what she believed to be true about God. Turned out that it was true. Let me tell you something: you and your life—you got a stronghold, man. You're not going to be able to defeat it on your own because you got to remember this: the biggest stronghold you had in your life was sin. And you could not defeat that on your own. It took the blood of Jesus Christ. It took his sacrifice on the cross. And it takes your belief in that sacrifice in order for those strongholds to be dissolved in your life. When you say no matter what in my life, you need to say no matter what because of Jesus Christ in my life. He's the only way. He's the only believing in God and believing in God so much so that I'm willing to put my life on the line. That is the only way. That is the only way to be saved from God's wrath. It's God's plan. It's God's plan from the very beginning. It shows it over and over and over again in this book. And you have a choice. You have a choice in your life. You can either get on board with God's plan or you can be under his wrath. I didn't make that up. I didn't come up with that on my own. It is over and over and over again in this book. Now, some of you today are you're followers of Christ. You really are. And and you struggle, Right? struggle day after day after day with something that maybe has this this grip on you and you can't seem to just i mean maybe you're lonely because people like pick on you or they isolate you and act like you're just not one of them and and you feel like you got no place where you belong maybe that's what your stronghold is i have a word for you today i have a word for you today and it's the one that you need to hear is that you've already got the victory at the end of the day it doesn't matter what anybody says it doesn't matter what anybody thinks it doesn't even matter what you've done in the past. What matters is how you will stand in front of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, You sacrificed himself for everything that you've done wrong. You've already got the victory. You've already got the victory. So don't let those strongholds in your mind take over your life. Remember that you have the victory, and let the victory that exists in your heart permeate through the rest of your life. Let me pray.